You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, we're going to continue in our study of the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 24 this morning. We, we talked about this uh, last week, but uh, chapter 11 is God's plan of salvation for Israel. He's kind of wrapping up this section of thought, Romans 9 through 11. Uh, it seems like God has turned his back on the Jews. I mean, all these Gentiles are now getting saved. If they're now included, what does that mean for them? That was the question that they had over and over again. And um, as we ended the text uh, from last week, we've seen that, first of all, God's always had a remnant. God's always had a remnant. Even, even in the Old Testament, you see that not all Israel was Israel. Not everyone was always saved. Uh, even in the days of Elijah was one of the illustrations he used when it looked like there was no one left who would believe. And uh, God said, no, I've kept 7,000 for myself. Uh, even in those days, God had a remnant. And even today, he is saving a remnant of the Jews. And as he summed up the end, verses 7 through 10, he's like, there, there's those, the elect, who have uh, received salvation, and then the rest have been hardened. And the question at the end of that is then, so is that it? Is that over for the Jewish nation? If the rest have been hardened, uh, what does that mean? And, and as we looked last week as well, there, there, when, it, when you go through the scriptures, when it comes to a hardening as an individual, that is it. That is it. There is no more chance for salvation. If God has hardened your heart, as we think about people like Pharaoh, there is no more chance for salvation. But as we go through this chapter, we see that there is a plan for Israel's salvation still. They, they're, as, as we mentioned last week, there is still a remnant now, even in 2021. But there is coming a day when there will be fullness of salvation. The, the nation themselves of Israel, all of them, will come to faith. It's going to be an awesome day. We're going to be looking at some of that this morning. And God has had his plan of salvation from before the creation of the world. Now, that's what we're told in the scriptures. Before the creation of the world, God had a plan. And everything looked great for the first two chapters of your Bibles, Genesis 1 and 2. Everything is good. Uh, there is peace. There's harmony. God is walking in the midst of his people. And then chapter 3, sin comes into the world. And from Genesis 3 right through to Revelation chapter 20, you see this story of salvation unfolded. And central to his plan of salvation is Israel. Which you, by the way, Gentiles, uh, which I think is most of you here this morning, okay? If you're like, I'm not, I'm not from here. I don't know what you're talking about. So you're either Jewish, you're from Israel, or you're a Gentile. That's everyone else, okay? So, so I would assume most of you are Gentiles here this morning. And, and w- this section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at, verses Romans 11, uh, 11 to 24, Paul is saying, Gentiles, you need to understand the significance of what God has planned for the Jewish people, but also how that relates to you. And as we think about the last 2,000 years of history, when it comes to the Jewish people, there have been a lot of uh, not great things. Let me just put it that way. Not great things when it comes to the church and the Jewish people. 
And I can't help you think after studying Romans chapter 11 that they have just taken Romans chapter 11 out of their Bibles. Because Paul makes it really clear we have a lot to owe to the Jewish people when it comes to our salvation. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. And so let me, before we get into it, let me pray for us. And then we'll, we'll study it together. Lord God, we are so thankful for this time to gather today. We're so thankful that you are a God who saves. God, we, as we understand from the scriptures, that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, judgment is due every single person. But God, you've sent a Savior. You've sent Jesus Christ to be our salvation. And so, God, I pray that for everyone here this morning, that they could say they know you as Savior. They know you as Lord. They have called upon your name for salvation. God, I pray that that's true of everyone watching online. I pray that's everyone, uh, true of everyone watching here this morning. And God, we um, desire to see the lost, lost saved. And God, we, we are so mindful uh, this morning as we study this text, but that's, that's what you're talking about here, that, that you are a God who saves, that you have a plan, you have a purpose, and you have the power to save and so, God, as we study today, God, would you lead us? Would you guide us by your Spirit? And God, help us to understand uh, further who you are and all that you have for us. God, we pray that you would lead this preacher for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, maybe you grabbed your coffee, but you did not grab your Bible. That's okay. But if you don't have it, just put up your hand. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word so that we can look at what it is that we're studying this morning. And so if you want to turn to Romans chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 11 to 24. And I've entitled this morning's sermon, Israel's Story of Salvation. That's the chapter, this section, what the Gentiles need to understand. What do you and I need to understand as Jew Gentiles? We pick it up in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble, this is the Jews, in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But... If some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness, God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, 
you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to grant them in again. For if you were to cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? So I read this on Monday, and I was like, oh, what's this going to, I mean, dough and trees and branches, like what's he talking about? Have you, if you haven't looked at it yet this morning, is, you, is that kind of like you're like, okay, okay, I'm a little interested now because I have no idea what was just said, right? And, and, and this is, and I'll tell you, my heart is overflowing after studying this text this week. It is so rich. And again, just reminds us of how incredible our God is in his plan of salvation. And so let's break it down together. Three important truths about God we can learn from Israel's story of salvation. The first is this, God's agenda. God has a plan. He has an agenda. He shows us this in verses 11 through 15. First again, he asks, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? In other words, is is the plan over now for Israel? Is this hardening permanent? Is the question. And Paul answers, as he's answered uh, throughout the book of Romans, by saying, by no means. In other words, it's as emphatic as you can get. The, 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 this is not true. God still has a plan for his people, he is not done with Israel. By his power, through his sovereignty, God has a plan still for the people of Israel. Now, as we read, you might have noted their hardening, their turning away is actually benefiting you and I as Gentiles. We see three different benefits here. First, we see salvation to the Gentiles because they have hardened themselves. It says that salvation has come to you and I. Note again in verse 11, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, it's funny, we had a leadership group yesterday and someone said exactly what I had thought myself. It's like, well, should you put that in there, Paul? Like, Like, didn't you have a plan for the Gentiles anyway? Well, yes, he did, but the plan was always the plan that through the hardening of the, Gen- the Jews, the Gen- that salvation would come to him. And we see that in live time when we look back at the time of Christ and then following in the missionary journeys. When Paul and Barnabas, they come to Antioch, Pisidian Antioch in Acts chapter 13, they go to the synagogue and they preach the good news to who? To the Jews, right? And they're, they're preaching and everyone really likes it the first week and they come back again, and they really like it, and what happens? There's these, people are beginning to be gathered to Paul and Barnabas, and the Jewish leaders are like, we got to shut this thing down. And we read in Acts 13, 46 to 48, Paul and Barnabas, they say this, they spoke out boldly and saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 
Like, that's a pretty incredible day, you think about that, right? It seems as if they're kind of listening in, but they're like, it's just for the Jews. And then Paul and Barnabas, okay, you guys reject it. We gave you the opportunity for salvation. Now we turn to the Gentiles, and they're like, are you kidding me? Like, salvation is for us as well. This God that you call upon has saved us, and there's this day of rejoicing amongst those who are saved. In Macedonia, we see the same thing again. Acts 18, 6, I'll just read it. And when they opposed and reviled him, this is Paul, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So again, this pattern over and over again, both first first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Christ, when he was on this earth, he told a parable foreshadowing what would happen. That the, the covenant promises that had been to the people of Israel would now be passed on to the Gentiles. In Matthew 22 and, and Luke 14, he tells these, these, these parables about a, a wedding master. And he's saying, we're having this feast. Go and call the people to come. And he goes to the people who should come. And in the parable, this represents Israel. And guess what? They're not interested. They don't want to come to the feast. And so he's like, okay, fine. Go out to, to others. And they go out to others. And then they're like, there's still room. Now go out to every road, to every, right? The, 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 the message of go into all the world was in those parables in Matthew 22 and Luke 14. Anyone who would see their spiritual bankruptcy and come to him are invited to the feast And so because the Jews rejected in real time, again, we, look at, we can look at it from an eternal perspective, but as we look at how things actually played out, when the Jews rejected salvation, it then came to the Gentiles. Just look at these verse, verses 11 through 15 as he talks about the scope of our salvation. He says, through their trespass, salvation. Verse 12, the scope being Riches for the world. Their trespass means riches for the world. No longer salvation just for the Jews. The riches obviously being paralleled with what? Salvation. The riches and salvation are the same thing. It doesn't mean you're all going to get rich, okay? We don't teach that here, all right? (laughs) That's not in the Bible, all right? So, but the riches, so much better, eternal riches through salvation are, are through our Lord Again, verse 12, their failure means riches for the Gentiles. Gentiles and world here being paralleled. And then verse 15, their rejection means what? The reconciliation of the world. Because the Jews rejected the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, if it was to be played out in a different way, perhaps they would have been the ones to actually take carry the salvation, but they rejected the salvation, and so then it went to us. And now the world can be reconciled to Christ. Who? Through who? Jesus Christ. This is the message that you and I, if you're a believer here this morning, this is the joy that we have. We get to go out into the world, the world being enemies of God, and we can say, hey, listen, God has made a way that you can be reconciled to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
This morning, if you sit here as an enemy of God, I want you to hear that you can be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. He's made a way. Stott says this, God overruled the sin of Israel for the salvation of the Gentiles. God had a plan. God in his mercy had this plan, and now 2,000 years later, what salvation has went all over the globe. It's an incredible thing. It began in Israel, and because they rejected it, now salvation has went out all over the world and will continue to do so until when? Until Christ returns. So God has a plan, and in that plan there has been salvation to the Gentiles. Secondly, we see there's envy of the Gentiles. Envy of the Gentiles. In God's plan, as the Gentiles are being saved, he still has in mind his own people, the Jews. It says, rather through their trespass, salvation, verse 11, has come to the Gentiles. So what? So as to make Israel jealous. Like, up until the time of Christ, look, we're the people of God. We're the people of God, right? And when they were actually walking in faith, they received tremendous blessing, and they, they, other nations could actually see that God had blessed them, right? But those days were done, and now God had been calling the Gentiles to now be his children, to now be reconciled to him. And through that, the desire is that they might be made jealous, if you've been with us through this study, you'll remember in nine, uh, Romans 9, 25 and 26 that, that Paul quoted from Isaiah that it was his intention to make a people who were not his people, to love those who had formerly be called not loved. And then we see in Romans 10, 19, but I ask, didn't Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. All through the scriptures, we see this thread that God has a plan beyond the Jewish nation. And in this now, in the saving of the Gentiles, he is desiring that they might be made jealous. For what end? To what end? Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, now, this is Paul, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. So, right, writing to the church in Rome, he's been addressing both the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome. That was the way churches were made up back then. Uh, as the Jews were all over the world, both Jew and Gentile, being saved. And so now he's addressing the Gentiles. He says, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and what? And thus save some of them. Right? Christ, on the road to Damascus, chose Paul to be a apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul, as we've been seeing and, and, and beginning in Romans 9 and Romans 10, he still loves his people. He still desires that they might come to faith. And so he's like, here's my strategy. I'm going to work as hard as I can to see as many Gentiles saved as possible so that the Jews will see and they become jealous and then, Lord willing, repent and come to faith in him. What a strategy. I'm going to tell as many people about Jesus so that they might see the tremendous blessing it is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. 
to see many people come to a vibrant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, being reconciled to God and living in such a way that the Jewish people will be envious of what they have and be moved to come to the Lord in faith. Made me think if there was an unbelieving Jewish person who came here today, if they came and they just observed us, what would they see? Would what we have make them jealous, make them envious of what we have so that they might be moved to faith? Might they see people passionately worshiping the Lord in song as the weights of the world are lifted off? Then it's just a sweet time every Sunday to come together and to sing the praises of our King and, and, to, and, to, and to just kind of forget about all of your week. Amen? And just like leave that like at the door and get our eyes back on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords like, okay, right. He is with us. He is sovereign over it all. I, I, I know my Redeemer lives and so I can walk in, 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 in another week. I can walk out in fullness knowing, knowing that He is with me. May they see people genuinely loving and caring for one another with no one ever being left out. There should never be a time in this church where you're kind of sitting around and you're like, uh, I guess I'll just go home. Like that, I, I mean, there's, every now and then, this church is incredible. You guys do an incredible job. But every now and then I'll see someone. I'm just like, I just want to like, you know, like, like, you know, break through the people and get to that person because I, I would never want anyone here to not know that they are loved. That's the way it ought to be. Every time someone comes in here, they should know that they are loved. That as often is the case, that you're like, my stomach is grumbling and my kids are like, you know, they're tugging on me because it's an hour later and we're still not out of here, okay? And why is that? Because Lord willing, there's good fellowship and there's love going on between one another. May they see a people who have the same troubles that they have every week, but that they still have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control in their lives because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. May, may they see what we have and be jealous and envious. May they see that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the things to come. Our hope is in the fact that God is redeeming a kingdom for himself and one day soon he's going to return. May our hope be continually one eye on the sky awaiting his return. May they see that in us and be jealous and envious. As I think about that as a whole, I, I know that that then starts by what? As individuals, as you and I actually applying the gospel to our lives day in and day out. And when we come together, we spur one another on. May we live lives where people look at you and are like, I want what they got. And that's how Paul was doing ministry to his own people. I'm going to go save as many Gentiles as possible so that they'll look and they'll like say, I want that. That's the goal. As God's agenda for salvation. May we live as his people in such a way. And then we see the blessings to the Gentiles. 
So salvation, we say envy, and then we see blessing. I say blessing because it's just the best word. Because what we'll see here is not easy to necessarily uh, understand. So verses 12 and 15 are paralleled verses, okay? You'll see what I mean. First, verse 12, now if their trespasses, the trespasses of the Jews, means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Full inclusion. There's coming a day, in Zechariah, we read about it, when the Jewish people, they'll look on the one whom they have pierced and they will as a whole repent. They'll come to him in faith. It's going to be an incredible, miraculous day. And did you catch what it says here, Gentiles? If you were blessed for, through their rejection, how much more will you be blessed through their full inclusion? In other words, there's something coming that's going to be incredible. We get a hint at it, and I say a hint because it's not easy to understand what he's saying in verse 15. But look what he says in verse 15. If their rejection means reconciliation of the world, <clears throat> what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Their rejection, not currently the people of God. They have rejected the Lord. The Lord has, has hardened them for a partial time. How much more so when they are accepted into the kingdom of God, when they call upon the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, when they repent of the one, and, and the, sorry, re, when they repent of their sins and turn to the one whom they have pierced, it says what? That there will be life from the dead. Anyone want to help me out with that? What does that mean? Well, commentators are all over the place as to what it means. Here's what we can say for sure. It's a culmination of salvation history. There's a culmination. When they all come to faith, it will be the culmination of God's salvation plan. We're going to, as we study next week, well, a few weeks. I'm going on vacation. But when we come back to this text in Romans chapter 11, we're going to see that their, their, their full inclusion will be coincided with their full inclusion of the Gentiles. There's, there's coming, this, all things are coming to an end. Do we understand that? This world will not continue on as it is. But there's coming a day where it will culminate with the Jews coming to faith and then life from the dead. What, so what are some of the different ideas? Let me just give you a few different ideas. Some see in these worlds a worldwide reconciliation to Christ. A worldwide reconciliation to Christ. Some see, Stott, he says this, will see an unimaginable blessing is going to enrich the Gentiles, a worldwide blessing which will so far surpass anything before experienced that it can only be likened to new life out of death. Bruce says this, the meaning may be that Israel's conversion will be the immediate precursor of the resurrection to coincide with the perusia of Christ, the second coming. So they come to faith and then Christ returns. And if you are more on the dispensational side, then you would say then the millennial kingdom would begin. And then it'll be an incredible time where all the nations of the world will come and bow down and worship before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Jerusalem. Like this is the stuff we're talking about here. Through their inclusion, guess what? We still get to be benefactors, right? We're still, Ephesians 3 says, we are now one in Christ. 
And we will be benefactors with them. I think what we see described here is found in Isaiah 11, 5 through 10. I was just going to read this. and um, you could, If you want to read the whole chapter on your own later, it, it covers the whole thing. But Isaiah 11, 5 through 10 just gives us taste. Righteousness, this is Christ, the servant coming. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. When he comes, listen to what will happen. Verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaning child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And then listen, verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. It's coming. That day's coming. No more death, no more strife, no more pain. And all the world will be full of his glory. This is what he's talking about. It will come with the culmination of salvation for Israel. Good agenda. It's incredible, isn't it? It's God's plan. We get to be a part of it. As Gentiles. This is what Paul wants us to remember. Then he has, sorry, second thing we see here is God's admonition. God's admonition. He's got some instruction for us as Gentiles. He wants us to understand. In in God's plan for Israel and his salvation, in, in the fact that there's a, even today there's a remnant being saved and one day they will all be saved, what should we do in the in between time? First, we need to be humble. We need to hum- be humble. He uses two metaphors here. First, he used the dough, right? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, what's he talking about here? If you go back to Ro- uh, Numbers chapter 15, 17 through 21, I know you're giving you a lot of verses here today. Just jot them down and look at them up for yourself later. But if you go to Numbers 15, 17 to 21, you, you see this instruction. When you come into the promised land, Israel, here's what you're to do. When you go to make bread, take some of the dough first and give it to the Lord as an offering. And you are to do this throughout all your generations. You're, you're setting it aside as the first fruits. You're recognizing that it's holy, that it's set apart for the Lord. And if the first fruits is holy, is what he's saying here, guess what? So is the whole lump of dough. In the same way, if the root is holy, what? So are the branches. So the question is what do the first fruits and the roots represent? As Luce John says, help, uh, helpful here, he says this. The point of the verse is that the initial consecration to God of the patriarchs, 
by the choice of Abraham in making them natural branches is the basis of the expectation of restoration. How can we know that God's going to fulfill his plan, that he's going to save all of Israel at the end? How do we know this? Because when he chose Abraham and made his covenant with him, he promised he would do so. As, again, Johnson says this, the Abrahamic covenant lying in the background of the apostles' words and thoughts, being unconditional nature, is the ground of the assurance of Israel's future of blessing. Because God made a covenant with Abraham, we can be assured that he is faithful to his promises and he will fulfill what he had said to him. So he continues now with a metaphor. Again, this time with the branches and the tree. He continues, it says, verse 17, but if some of the branches, who are the branches? The Jews. If some of the branches were broken off, and, although a, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the, tree, uh, so among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Okay, so metaphor represents uh, what? Branches, they're broken off. Not all of Israel is Israel. You were born an Israelite, but if you do not place your faith in him, you're not part of the covenant promises, you're broken off. He describes you Gentiles as what? Wild olive shoots. Okay, you are the wild olive shoots. And it says that you've been taken and you've been put into the tree. The tree, the, the, the tree representing what? The covenant promises. The, the tree ultimately of salvation here. You've been grafted in. The nourishing root being the patriarchs and the covenant that was made with them. That's the illustration here. Anyone seen an olive tree, like for real? You guys, some of you have? I, I, I have not. But they can get to like really old, right? I, I think if you go to Israel today, there's, there's olive trees from the time of Christ. That's how old they get. And, and one of the things that can happen, one of the things that can be done in order to give life to that tree is to take the wild olive branch and to graft it in to the tree. And what it does is it brings life to that natural tree. The wild olive trees, anyone seen any of those? They're more like bushes, apparently, okay? They don't have a lot of fruit. It's not really great, okay? And so he's like, he's taken you from that and he's placed you into this tree of the covenants. Throughout the scriptures of the New Testament, we're reminded as Gentiles, we had no hope. Like a wild olive branch is a great illustration for us, right? Ephesians 2.12 says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our story as Gentiles. Without hope, without God, not having anything to do with the covenants of promise, 
That wasn't anything. But God now has taken you and has placed you in the tree. And now those covenants of promise are now yours through Christ. But then he says this, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. God didn't create a new tree is the idea here, right? The way of salvation is through Israel. It is through the covenant promises to Abraham. And now you are in that tree. So what do you have to brag about? Nothing. You have nothing to think that we Gentiles are great and the Jews are down here. That should never, ever come into the mind of a believing Gentile. Ever. Reminding us of this truth, Galatians 3.29. Galatians 3.29 says, if you, are, if you are Christ, then what? You are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. We're now grafted in to the heritage of Abraham as Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Now, why is Paul writing this? Because it's a problem. He would not be bringing these things up. It wasn't a problem. Gentile Christians thinking that they were better than the Jewish Christians. He's already been dealing with the last two chapters of the Jewish Christians thinking that they're better than the Gentile Christians. I mean, this back and forth. He's like, listen, you are one in him. And Gentiles, if you're starting to think, feel like, you know, look at us, remember that your root is from Abraham. As I mentioned earlier, if you look at the last 2,000 years of church history, not great in regards to the way that Christians have dealt with Jews. Now, I get over the last 2,000 years, not everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian, for sure. And you think what's going on in Germany back in the late 30s and 40s, the so-called religious idea that the Jews should be removed. We know that that wasn't coming from the scriptures for sure. But we should, we should rejoice in the salvation of Jews. We should have no arrogance or hatred towards Jewish people. Do we understand that this morning? It seems crazy that we would have to say that, but 2,000 years of history shows us we have to say that. We, we, it's, it's such a satanic belief, isn't it not? I mean, you're just thinking about why, why I hate the Jews. Why? The only reason you can think about it is Satan, right? Gets that into, why? Because he wants to destroy the people that God has chosen, he wants it, he wants it, if he could, I mean, six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. I mean, that's like un unbelievable. Six million Jews were killed. He wants to destroy them so that all these covenant promises that we were talking about, the day when they would look upon the one whom they appear, the culmination of salvation history, could not happen because there is no Jews left. But God will have his way. God is sovereign. And so we should ought to have a special place in our hearts for the Jewish people, knowing that we enjoy the covenant blessings that should have been theirs through faith. And if they, as we're going to see in just a moment, if they place their faith in him, guess what? 
they too can enjoy the covenant blessings through Jesus Christ. So there is no reason for pride or boasting. We need to be humble. Second, we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. Verse 19, then they will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off. Why? Because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Listen, don't fall into the same trap that the Jewish people did. Right? They began to think what? As we've been studying these these weeks previous, they began to think that they could be made right with God through their own righteous works. We got the law. God's told us it. We just follow it. And then he's just going to bless us, and that's all we have to do. But the law showed what? They couldn't do it. The only way that they could be made right with God was through faith. He's he's been saying this right through Romans 4 on. It's only been by faith. And so, Gentiles, don't become arrogant. Don't become proud, thinking that now God specially blesses you simply because you come to church simply because you know something about the New Testament. That's not enough. You have to have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not placed your faith in him, guess what? You are not in the people. So they're broken off. Why? Because of their unbelief. So if you're to stand fast, you must do it through faith. And again, it doesn't take long to read in your scriptures to to remember that God warns churches, listen, get your act together, get back to your first love, or what? You will no longer be a church. You will no longer be a lampstand. Don't just think because, well, my parents were Christian, so I'm Christian, and we just go by that, and you know, we have some do's and don'ts, and we're good people. Like, that's not saving anybody. You, you have to have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be walking by faith on a daily basis. That's what salvation is. And so either you, you, know, you read in Revelation 2 and 3, it's like, look, repent of these things, or guess what? You cease to be a church. You, could, you can put church on your sign, but you are not my church. And sadly, in our generation, we're seeing that happen in our own country. Churches that used to preach the word no longer preaching the word. And guess what? Any believers left in those ones that have been that way for a while? Not, no, there's not. Because anyone who knows thus saith the Lord and goes to those churches, they're like, yeah, they're not, they're not representing God. They're not saying thus saith the Lord. They're, they're saying thus saith whatever I think. Thus saith the world is now the new message in some churches. Right? calling things right that are wrong, calling things wrong that are right, twisting the scriptures. And so we need, to, we need to take heed to that and walk by faith. Moose says this, recognizing that every spiritual benefit comes as a sheer gift from our gracious God, the Gentile Christian must stop thinking so highly of his or her accomplishments and take up an attitude of fear. This brings us to our third point. They need to be fearful. We need to be humble, we need to be faithful, we need to be fearful. So do not be proud, he says, but what? But fear. We have no reason to boast. We have no, no reason to think that we could just walk up to God and he should bless us. We, we need to understand that we are in the place that we're in only by his grace, only through faith. 
And so we ought to walk in humility and faithfulness with great reverence of our Lord. Remembering that he's not only a God of grace, but he's also a God of wrath. And he will not be mocked. He says in verse 21, For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Who is it that has received the kindness of God? Those who walk by faith. That's it. It's as simple as that. Those who receive the kindness of God are those who are walking by faith. Anyone else who does not walk by faith will experience the severity of God. Schreiner says this, What Paul censures here is the notion that Gentiles would somehow avoid judgment because they were part of the redeemed community. This is precisely what many Jews believed, concluding that God would never reject the original branches on the olive tree. Paul insists in the strongest possible terms that no one can presume upon God's grace and imagine that blessing will be theirs regardless of their continuance in the faith. You must walk by faith. As a church family, we need to continually be reminding one another of the gospel and how we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ to the praise of the Lord. We need to warn anyone who thinks that they can be saved through religion and not by faith. We need to do what it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine ourselves, to see whether we are in the faith, testing ourselves, uh, testing ourselves, he says, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail to meet the test? Are you clinging to Christ? If you're clinging to Christ, then you will make it to the end. You will persevere. If you have not clung to Christ, if you have never called upon him in faith, then you should not have any expectation that you are his people. So we need to keep our eyes on the Lord, not taking for granted that we are saved by his grace, trusting in him to complete the good work that he began in us. This is the road to salvation. May there be no one here this morning who would trust in themselves and face the severity of the Lord God. Let us walk in his kindness. Maybe this morning you know that you are not walking with God. Would you hear his word? May you repent. May you call upon him. May you believe upon him and find salvation before it's too late. Jesus says this in John 15, 5 and 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like the branch, like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. We need to cling to him. We need to walk in reverence of him as his people. So let us be humble, let us be faithful, and let us be fearful. Lastly, we've seen what? We've seen God's agenda. We've seen God's admonition. And now, lastly, we see God's awesome. I didn't know how else to sum this up. He's just awesome. Look at verses 23 and 24. 23 says this, And even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. What a gracious, merciful, loving God. He's like, listen, 
if they don't continue to persevere, I love the way he puts this, if they don't persevere in their unbelief, isn't that a great way to describe an unbeliever? They're persevering in their unbelief, right? They're, they're ignoring, and, and really you have to persevere, right? Because Romans 1 tells us what? All the evidence is there, so you got to keep pressing it down. <laughs> gotta, don't talk to me about God, you know, like whatever. <laughs> you wonder why people get riled up, right? Because they're persevering in their unbelief. But if they don't, if they stop, they call upon him, what does he say? They'll be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them in again. If anyone does what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if they confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, what? They will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Today salvation is there if you would just Stop persevering in your unbelief and call upon him. You would be saved. Jew or Gentile here this morning is the message. He's talking specifically about the Jewish people who have been hardened. But he's saying, listen, if you would turn and turn to him, you would be saved. Why? Because, the God, because God has the power to do it. And God has the power not only to save you, God has the power to change your heart even this morning in your unbelief. I like again how Johnson puts this. He can not only restore Israel if they believe, but he can remove the unbelief itself. That's how powerful God is. And since we know this to be true of God, we know that not only will God save individual Jews when they hear the gospel, but we know one day he will save the whole nation. He's like, listen, I've already done the hard thing. Look at verse 24. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Listen, to graft a natural branch in, that's nothing. I've already done the wild olive shoots, you guys, right? So you don't think I can do this? I can do this. This is his point. God, God is faithful, and he will fulfill his salvation promises. Our God is awesome, is he not? He's powerful, he's purposeful, he's proven. This morning, the question is, have you placed your faith in him? Do you rejoice in his plan of salvation today? Are you about this plan of salvation? Are you ready for the culmination of salvation the day when all will bow before him. Are you ready for that day? I pray that everyone here will bow in worship rather than because you're forced to. I pray that you would be, when he returns, that you are excited to see him because you've been made right with him. God has an agenda. He has a plan. It contains both Jews and Gentiles. As Gentiles, we need to be humble we need to be faithful. We need to be fearful. We're going to go a little over time because I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this, right? But I, I want you just to think about when, when Christ says to be ready. I'm just going to read from Matthew 24. I, my heart was just so stirred this week. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew 24, verse 36. We're going to read. But, but like when you read about that, that, that culmination point coming, when you think about that, like, does that not get you excited? 
Like we've already been blessed with salvation. How much more so will we be blessed when all of Israel will turn and call upon him? That day's coming. It's coming soon. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said about that day. Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. When that day is coming, the Father knows. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, what? It's just life will be going on as normal, right? And then it will be done. The two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what the day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Church, let us be about God's plan of salvation. Let us be proclaiming the good news to everyone that we can. Let us be encouraging the Jews to come to faith. May we be praying for their salvation to come. And may we be ready and be able to say, as John said, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we're so thankful that you are a God who saves. Lord, you had a plan all along. And Lord, you are fulfilling that plan in 2021. It is still being fulfilled. Even today around this world, people are coming to faith in you. Many Gentiles are and some Jews are. Lord, we're so thankful for that promise that that is happening even today. And I would pray this morning, God, if there's anyone here who's never called upon you in faith, that they would do so today. That Lord, they would feel the weight of their sin and know that Jesus Christ has paid the price for them. If they would just call on him in faith. God, we pray that as your people, we would live in such a way that people would be jealous of what we have. And that we would be quick to tell them the reason for the hope that we have. Lord, help us to be heralding your gospel. Help us to be ambassadors that reflect Jesus Christ for your glory and for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.